You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. As Christians, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. And we believe that when we read the Bible, we actually hear God speak. So today we're going to listen to God speak to us from the Gospel written by John. We're going to start in chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Let's listen to God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, he was in the world, and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognise him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we've all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at his Father's side. He has revealed him. Heavenly Father, give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to put it into practice. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, the uh, great philosopher Albert Camus once gave his definition of life. Uh, He said that life was like the task that was given to the Greek mythological figure or hero Sisyphus. 
Uh, legend tells us that uh, Sisyphus was condemned by the gods to spend his life rolling a rock up a mountain. The only problem was that the rock always fell down to the bottom of the mountain again. And next day, back he was. So Sisyphus ended up rolling rocks up mountains forever. Now you might think this is a bizarre way to introduce a sermon on uh, a sermon series on Christmas, but I start this way deliberately. I want you to ask yourself if life is something like this for you. Does life have meaning for you? Or is life like pushing a rock up a mountain only to have it fall back again or the next assignment to arise or to come or whatever it might be? Think about it. Take some time to think about it. Give it some thought. What is life about for you? What is the meaning of life for you? What makes life work for you? I'm going to give you just a minute or two, well, less than that really, but a moment or two to think about it and perhaps even write it down. What is life like for you? Having done this, let me give you some examples of answers to the question, apart from Sisyphus, of course. Uh, the answers are taken from a book I came across uh, some time ago, and I liked it, and here's the first definition. Life is like a jigsaw puzzle, except you don't know what the picture is supposed to look like, and you don't even know if you've got all the pieces. Or life is a maze, except you try to avoid the exit. Or life is an adventure. Or... Life is win or lose. A few people win, most are losers. You can see the sorts of, people, of answers people give, can't you? Uh, some are positive, some negative, but all of them have a serious ring to them, even if they have a sort of funny cutting edge as well. And that's because this question, I think, is a very serious question. In fact, it may very well be that this question, the question of the meaning of the life, is the big question in life. My own view is that it's one of the hardest questions to find an answer to. It is most urgent, though, the most urgent of all human questions. It is also the most obscure of all human questions. And I also reckon there are four answers worth mentioning. So let me run them by you right at the beginning of our talk for today. They are these. The meaning of life is to be found in relationships and family. The meaning of life is to be found in knowing God. The meaning of life is to be found in the light of the possibility of a life after this life. Or there is no absolute, there's absolutely no meaning to life at all. It just happens. Now let me tell you about the Christian answer. The Christian answer to the meaning of life is, is that it is to be found in knowing God and being related to him. Knowing God and being related to him. Jesus himself makes that very, very clear in the book of John that we're looking at today. A bit later than our verses, but in John 17 verse 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God. Here Jesus gives the answer that's given throughout the Bible in my view. He makes clear that life is meaningful because God exists and is real. Now, the problem is that even if you agree with the writers of the Bible, you've only just begun the search, isn't it? You see, after all, we need to define who or what God is. What is God like? 
And again, John's Gospel, the Gospel we're looking at today, it does help us, you see. It helps us in this way. Let me read what it says. John 17, verse 3. This, says John, or this says Jesus, is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Can you hear? Jesus says that if you want to know God, then you need to start with him. He's the way to get to know God. And that's what we're going to do today. So it's a long introduction to what we're going to do, but John was one of the earliest disciples of Jesus, and he's going to tell us what he found out about Jesus. And we're going to do that by looking at the first 18 verses uh, of the book that he wrote. So the introduction to his book. You see, these verses, I think, form the introduction to the whole of the book and are incredibly packed as verses. And instead of delving deep into them, what I'm going to do today is I'm simply going to answer from this passage three questions. So three questions, they are these. Who is Jesus? Why should I be concerned with who Jesus is? And what do, does finding out about Jesus, what, what do I find out about Jesus through finding out, or about God, through finding out about Jesus. So let me repeat it. Who is Jesus? Why should I be concerned with who Jesus is? And what do I find out about God by finding out about Jesus? Now, let's start with the first question, see what our passage has to say today. And I'm sure that at the end you'll agree with me that Jesus is certainly, at least, a man you cannot ignore. Okay, let's get started. First question, who is Jesus? Well, John tells us a whole host of things in these 18 verses. I think that all of them can be easily summarised. They can be summarised into two statements. So 18 verses, two statements. First statement is this, Jesus is God. Second, Jesus is human. Let's check it out together. First one, Jesus is God. If you've read John's Gospel for yourself then you'll know that John's Gospel is quite different from the other Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke. Its approach is quite different. And we can see it in our passage for today. Just look at it. Uh, think about Matthew, Mark and Luke. Where do they begin? They start with a child, don't they, being born. Isn't that true? Or in Mark's case, they start with John the Baptist who introduces Jesus. But not John. No, not John. Not at all. John appears that if you're going to talk truly about Jesus, then you have to go right back prior to those things, right back to the beginning, back to scratch, right back. And John knows that there was something before John the Baptist. What? Before John the Baptist was? Before Abraham was? Before Adam was? Before time was? God was. God is before all things. And John is clear that the very first thing we know about God is what? Think, think back. If you've read the first chapter of the Bible, think back. What is the first thing that God tells you about himself? Let me read it to you. In the beginning was the Word. In other words, in the beginning God spoke. And, his, and what he said, his Word was not a group of sounds, rather it was a person. The word was Jesus. That's what is said in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Have a look at it. Rather, this person, God introduced this person who was Jesus, and this word is God. 
he's speaking into the world is in this takes the shape of a person. In the beginning was the word. That's what John says. And the word was with God and the word was God. Understand what he's saying. It, the thought is mind-blowing when you start thinking about it a bit. He's asserting that the man Jesus wasn't just another impressive human being. And if you've come here today thinking that that's all he was, you are right and wrong. No, the man, in, the man Jesus has a history, is what John says. And his history is more impressive than the history of any other human being in history. For this one was in the beginning with God. From the beginning he was God. He is the one through whom the universe was made. There's not a thing anywhere in the universe that was not made without his involvement. Jesus is God. Can you hear this? John is, I want you to take it in because John is spelling it out for us. He's telling us that what God is about to do through Jesus is not a last-minute plan that he dreamt up. Jesus is not an emergency measure. God's plan, God's purpose, God's pattern for history and salvation from its beginning started with Jesus and finishes with Jesus. He is the beginning of history. He's the goal of history. He's the end of history. He is the first, the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, if you know your Greek. Beginning and end. Therefore, if you want to find God, if you want to understand what God is like, if you want to discover what he is about in his world, then where do you go? Well, you go to Jesus. And you must listen to him, learn about him, discover him, encounter him. For in Jesus, God invades the world. He makes himself known. I want you to look at verse 18, the last of our verses for today. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, the one who's at the Father's side, he has revealed him. So that's uh, one. Number two, Jesus is man. Being God is just one side of the story here. You see, the passage is clear that that is true, but it also tells us that Jesus was a flesh and bones human being. That's what verse 14 is about. Look at it with me. Look at it in the Bible. It says the word... That is that eternal being, that eternal God, became flesh and took up residence among us. And we observed his glory, the glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Isn't it striking? Let me explain just what it means so we get how striking it is. You see, I suspect that all of us would like to take the mystery out of God, wouldn't we? Is there anyone here who's not said, if only I could see God, it would be all right? Well, John is saying, God is able to be seen. You want to see him? He is able to be seen. God is visible because he made himself visible. And John uses Old Testament language in verse 14 to tell us how God does it. He doesn't come in a cloud, you see. He doesn't come in fire. He doesn't come in a shining light. He doesn't live in a tent. No, he comes to live among people. Human among human. He does in a person. He comes in Jesus. And so when Jesus comes into the world, God comes into his world. When Jesus comes into the world, again, God again pitches his tent, as it were. In the world, he dwells with human beings. 
He's very visible. He's visible because he's a human being. If you were there and the day came, you could touch him. See, God became a human being at a particular time, particular place. The God who made everything, the God who is from the beginning of all time, became a human being and that human being is Jesus. God the creator is God the human being. So we've now addressed the first question raised by this question, who's Jesus? Let's move to the second question. Why should I be concerned with who Jesus is? Why does it matter? And again, our passage explains. Look at verses 4 and 9. Verse 4, life was in him. And that life was the light of men and of women. Verse 9, the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Can you hear the language of creation in these verses? It's very strong. Can you see what they're saying? They're saying that if Jesus really was the creator in human form, if, he really, if Jesus really is God, then that would mean he's the one who acted back in Genesis 1. Here's the one who turned darkness into light. Here's the one who turned dust into a living human being. He's the one who created the earth. And if he can do this, then he holds out hope for humans. As verse 9 makes clear, his light can dispel darkness then. If that's what he can do, if he can do it over creation, doing it over us is a small task. He can make relationship with God possible, in other words. And verse 12 makes it clear he can make it possible for children, for people to be children of God. Isn't that a remarkable statement? If he can create a universe, he can make people children of God. But only if he's really God. Only if Jesus is really human. And that brings us to our third question for today. What do I find out about God through finding out about Jesus? So if Jesus is the revelation of God, what do I find out about God? It, the passage again comes to our aid. Look at verses 14 to 18. Look at the words that jump out from these verses. Glory, verse 14. Grace, verse 14 and 17. Truth, verses 14 and 17. Grace upon grace, verse 16. Made him known. Verse 18. Can you hear when these verses are put together what they are saying and notice the direction they move in? They move from God to us. And so what is God like? He's a God who acts on behalf of those who can't act for themselves. He gives to those who cannot give back. He's a God who gives life where there's death and who gives light where there's darkness, truth where there's falsehood, acceptance where there's rejection, fullness where there's emptiness, birth where there's death, understanding where there's ignorance. Can you hear that? He can do this. He's the God who piles blessing upon blessing and grace upon grace. He's the God of all grace. Full of grace, full of truth, full of glory, full of light. And full of life. And where do you see that most of all? You see him most at work when you look at Jesus. In Jesus we see grace and truth at extreme limits. In Jesus, we see God as he truly is. However, there's more. I wonder if you've noticed that there are a number of words that are repeated in, John, in this first chapter of John. Uh, however, there are two words that appear together as a pair. They're almost undivided. 
They're almost sort of bound to each other. Did you notice what they are? Grace and truth. Did you hear them see them? If not, take another look. Look at verse 14. John says, The word became flesh and took up residence among us, and we observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now flip down to verse 17. John says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now what does that mean? What is John trying to say? Well, look at verse 14 for just a moment. In the first sentence and a half, John says what we've already noticed. In Jesus, John and the others saw the incontrovertible. They saw that God had put on flesh and dwelt with human beings. In Jesus, they saw the glory of God, the glory of the one and only Son of the Father in human flesh. But there's more. They saw, when they saw this human being full of grace, and what did they see him full of? Grace and truth. The parallel to grace and truth in the Old Testament are my two favourite Old Testament words. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Or amongst my favourites. Grace and steadfast love are seen in Jesus. Where particularly in Jesus? In the cross. In his death. There we see God to be full of surprising stuff. Full of surprising, unexpected, overwhelming grace. He turns to sinners and forgives and sends his son to die for them. There we see God to be full of surprising, unexpected, overwhelming grace. And truth is what that is about. It's about God showing, telling, demonstrating. Straight, real, honest truth. And the truth is what? That God himself is true. The truth is that human beings are desperately in need and desperately need to hear this truth. The truth is that humans are sinful and humans need God to do something to bring them back into relationship with him. And those meet where? They meet together in Jesus. The truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And grace, full of grace, overwhelming grace. That's what this chapter says. It's what the gospel says. Honest truth about God and humans, but overwhelming grace comes out to meet honest truth. Now let's go to the second place these truths are heard. I want you in your Bibles there just to slip down a bit to verse 17 or on the data projector. The words grace and truth occurred in verse 14, but there's a slight difference that the original readers could see, but most of us can't. So I'm going to show it to you. In the original Greek, the word the is inserted before grace and truth. Does that make sense? You can't see it, but it is there in the original language. And John says, the grace, the truth came through Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we see the grace, the truth. And those two things are the centre of who Jesus is and what he's done. He is the grace the truth. Now, I hope you've learned a lot more about Jesus by us looking at this passage together today. It's very complex. This is the Jesus, though, that Christians believe in. So let me sum up what I've said by defining a Christian. How do you tell who a Christian is? Well, by what they say. 
Well, first, you can tell them by what they say. They say, Jesus is God. Unlike Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses or whoever else. No, Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus is human. That is, he's flesh and bones. He's like us. But the third makes him different. For he, like God, is the God of grace. The God of grace. The God of mercy and kindness. So that's the first thing. You see who Jesus is by these things. Second, you can tell a Christian and what a Christian is. But you can tell a Christian by something else. By what they accept. What does a Christian accept? What did I accept when I became Christian? A Christian accepts that they're in need of God. That is, they're in darkness, in need of light. Verses 4 to 9. Two, they accept that the only way they can get to God is by coming to him. By him coming to them, sorry. By God acting. See verse 13? Jesus is born by the will of God. And thirdly, they accept that Jesus has made it possible for them to be related to God. He gives them the right to become children of God, verse 12. Now, if you don't like any of these things, I think, nah, Andrew, if you can't handle them, let me tell you, you cannot be Christian. You cannot be Christian. Christians hold to these things. Christians are marked by these things. But a Christian not only says certain things, a Christian not only accepts certain things, a Christian also acts in accord with what they believe and accept. So in other words, you can tell a Christian. You see, a Christian is someone who's acted upon what they've heard and believed. When they hear about Jesus, they say to God, well, if that's who you are, I need your help. I need your help. So, and they see that God has offered help in Jesus and they accept Jesus, they receive Jesus, they treat Jesus as who he is, the Lord of the universe, the creator of the world. They say, okay. So let me sum up what I think is most important about these 18 verses. I've tried to give you the big picture rather than the small details. The most important truth is that Jesus is God. He reveals God. He represents God. He speaks for God. He acts as God and for God. He is God in flesh. And when we worship him, we worship God. When we know him, we know God. When we hear his word, we hear the word of God. When we encounter him, we encounter the God who created the earth, the universe. But let me put it more starkly. If we are not worshipping him, we are not worshipping God. If we don't know him, we don't know God. If we've not encountered him, we've not encountered God. You see, if believing in Jesus is believing in God, if receiving Jesus is receiving God, then it's also true that rejecting Jesus is rejecting God. I cannot put it more starkly for you today. But read the Gospels, that's what they say. Let me close by asking you what you think life is about. So, is life about work? 
Is it about family life? Is life an adventure? Is it like rolling a rock up a hill only to have it fall back? Well, life may sometimes seem like all of those things. But that's not the core of life according to Scripture, according to God. The core of life is found in knowing him. And God is found in one place, ultimately, in Jesus Christ, who is God in human form, the grace, the truth. The grace, the truth. That is what Christians celebrate on these days that we call Christmas. Now let me urge you to find life by finding it in Jesus and this is the truth I want you to take home today. Even if you disagree with me today, just go and check it out. Read John's Gospel for yourself. That's what it's designed for, people like you who want to know who Jesus is. God is found in Jesus Christ who is God in human form. So let's be united in finding life by finding Jesus. That's what those early Christians were oriented toward. And that's why we celebrate it. That's why we take some time off and do the things we do. If you're not yet a believer in these things, then please do talk to those who are Christian here. They would love you to join with them. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that you are not the God who hides secrets, but who brings them out into the public domain. And we think, thank you that as we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate God becoming human. And we thank you that this is the extent of your grace and your kindness, that you sent him into the Son not only to reveal you, but to die for us. And Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.